Welcome to another episode of the Amford Church Sermon Podcast. We're thrilled that you're taking the time to listen to what we have to say about God, the world, and you. These sermons are recorded live during our weekly Sunday morning services. To find out more about us or to plan a visit to join us, check out our website, amfordchurch.com. Again, thanks for listening and enjoy. Have you ever been amused by somebody using an expression that they didn't really understand? Perhaps they spoke the words of the expression but in totally the wrong context or as I've quite enjoyed numerous times when people actually change the words of the expression and ultimately end up changing the expression itself. For example, we all know the expression like a bull in a china shop. It speaks about someone who is rough and ready, chaotic, like a bull set free in a china shop damage and chaos is going to pursue. Did you know that some people actually think that that expression is like a bowl in a china shop? As in a bowl that you'd eat your food from. And they think the expression means someone who is right where they're supposed to be a perfect fit. Sometimes we can use expressions and not really know what on earth we're talking about. Last week we started our study in the Lord's Prayer, a prayer that is familiar to all of us, but I imagine for many of us doesn't always make an awful lot of sense. Last week I started off by saying that what Jesus is doing in giving us this model prayer isn't just giving us words to pray, but he's inviting us to live in the truth that those words speak, to live in the world as it truly is, rather than the world as it is in the lies that we tell ourselves and that we tell one another. Today we're going to be focusing in on that world that Jesus invites us into when he teaches us to pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. But before we can even get to the truth that that's representing or the lies that we need to jettison, we need to stop. And we need to be honest that for the majority of us, that phrase, hallowed be your name, makes absolutely no sense at all. Is it a statement of fact? Is it a request? Is it a promise being made? My guess is we haven't got a clear idea on which one of those it is. And even when we decide, when we choose which one of those it is, What actually is it to be hallowed? What on earth does that word even mean? Stop and ask yourself, do you ever use that word in any other context? Probably. All Hallows Eve, Halloween, does that clear things up? The only other example I could come up with was when I speak about famous sporting pitches as hallowed ground, as hallowed turf, maybe the Millennium Stadium or Anfield. Or something like that. So how do we even begin to make sense of this phrase which is totally and utterly alien to many of us? Well a good piece of advice whenever we're stuck over a passage in the Bible or we're stuck over some particular words is to look those things up in different translations to figure out how other people have translated it to see if that sheds any light on what is actually being said. 
And I guess for us, being here in Amundford in the area, we have the advantage that we can not only look things up in English, but we can look things up in Welsh as well. And actually, the Lord's Prayer, the version of the Lord's Prayer I learnt in primary school, has this as that line. Sancte dir de enu, holify your name. Or if you prefer it, in babel.net, it speaks about God's name being honoured. What if we looked in some of the different English translations then? Well, the NIV, along with the ESV, essentially just copy the KGV, the classic version that we all know and love. They use that expression, hallow, hallow be your name, which is slightly odd for the NIV and the ESV because it is the only occasion that that word is used in the entire translations, which isn't the case if you dive into the Greek. Actually, the Greek word isn't uncommon at all, and elsewhere both the NIV and the ESV translate it as to sanctify, which we usually understand as the process of making something holy. My preferred version, the Christian Standard Bible, the CSB, actually translates it like this. Your name, Father, be honoured as holy. Wynne Jones's favourite version, the message, translation by Eugene Peterson, puts it something like this. Reveal who you are. So, a brief survey, poking, prodding around, even looking at the footnotes in your own Bible, you'll start to see that what is meant by this phrase, this expression, hallow be your name, it speaks about something being made special something being unique, something being exalted, something being revered and honoured and ultimately glorified and set apart. One of the other things we need to recognise as well before we carry on is this isn't just a statement. It isn't just a line in the Lord's Prayer that says, you are our Father in heaven and your name is higher than any other. Of course that's true, but again, it's slightly hidden in many of our translations that this is a request that we are making in our prayers. We know very well probably the other things that the Lord prayers asks for. But consider this, that the very first thing that is asked for, the very first petition in Jesus' model prayer is this, God make your name the most set apart, the most revered, the most honoured name in all the land. I think that's why Eugene translated it, reveal who you are, because it's something that's already true. This is just a request for it to be known and to be experienced and to be believed on by everyone. So now we've got a slight grasp of what the line says, let's think about the world that we're being invited into. What lies need to be booted out from our thinking and what truth needs to be brought in? Let's start about the lie then. What is it that we normally believe that this line rallies against? What is life all about? Life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. Life is about making an impact. Life is about leaving a legacy. They're all good things for sure, 
But the lie that we so often believe, the lie that we use to live most of our lives, is that we make these good things into ultimate things. We walk around and we encourage one another on this sort of mission as we go of making a great reputation for us. We all actually live out, hallowed be my name in all of the earth. And that's the heart of rebellion against God, that we want to occupy the top spot for ourselves. We want to be where he is. One of the greatest rebellions ever recorded in the Bible is what happens at Babylon. The people gather together to build this great tower. And if you want to read about it, you can read it in Genesis chapter 11. The people all come together and they aim to build this tower that reaches up even to the heavens. And the author of Genesis notes what they were saying in their hearts as they did that. Let's do this, they said, they thought, that we might make a great name for ourselves. Rebellion! wanting their names to be revered and held up above any other. And that is what we're like. When we live and when we make decisions, it's us that normally come top of the list. Now that is punctuated from time to time with a desire to do good, to help, to love, to serve others. And I genuinely think this current situation, this pandemic, this lockdown has been bringing out the best in people but those times are the exception. They are not the rule. Think about even how we pray. When we come to prayer, isn't it almost always for us stuff, for me stuff? Prayer is so often just treating God like a waiter. We click our fingers and we expect him to come and bring us exactly what we want, exactly what we think that we need. But here's the truth that we need to replace that lie. Here's the world as it really is. It's not all about us. It's about him. This first request isn't about us and our lives, but it's about him being high and lifted up. The truth is we exist not to lift up ourselves, but to exalt him. That's our purpose. We exist to spread his glory, not our own. Turn with me, if you will, to John chapter 12. And we are at a point where Jesus is describing the crucifixion. Um, it's very close. It's Easter week. And this is how Jesus sees and describes everything that is about to happen. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant will be also. My father will honour the one who serves me. Now, so far, it sounds like Jesus understands what he is doing as glorifying himself and providing a means, uh, an avenue, a way through which we can be glorified as well. But see where he takes this. Verse 27. Now my soul is troubled. What shall I say? He's thinking about what lies ahead. Father, save me from this hour. No, no, 
It is for this very reason that I have come. Father, glorify your name. See, Jesus understood what he was doing. He understood that it was going to lift him up, that his name would be high and lifted up because of the sacrifice that he was going to make. He understood that what he was going to do was going to be for our benefit, that we would be taken from our lowly estate, that we would be lifted up, that we would be called children of God. We would be able to address God in heaven as Father. But he understood ultimately as well that it was about the Father's glory. And that's the world that Jesus is inviting us into when we pray this prayer. A world in which we live, we exist, we desire more than anything the Father to be glorified. His name, his reputation to be honoured and lifted up. Now let me say, I appreciate that doesn't sound very appealing from the outset. To live for someone else's glory rather than your own. But think about how freeing that could be even for a moment. Jesus invites us to be a part of his kingdom, a kingdom in which the Father's name is glorified. And it means that we get to exist, escape that existence that we're normally constantly in, relentlessly, relentlessly trying to big up ourselves. Imagine you're a salesperson. And the product that you've got to sell is absolute garbage. It's just useless junk, but it's all that you've got to sell. How exhausting an existence do you think it is to constantly have to put on this false front, this false face, to hide certain um, aspects, things, um, to make claims that can't be backed up by the product? That's not a satisfying existence, is it? It's probably a haunting existence. And that's a little what life is like for us when we are living for ourselves. We constantly have to be hiding our worst parts and overselling our best parts. It means that we probably always live and exist on the edge, worried, anxious, in case we get found out, always having this dull aching sense of guilt because we know deep down that we are living a lie. When we say that we're the ultimate, when we're the best thing between heaven and earth, how disappointed we're going to be when the sun rises and it sheds its light on the truth that neither you nor I nor any of us are quite that good. But here again is what Jesus is inviting us into. He's making it possible through his own life, through his own death, that we can be a part of living for something else. Imagine going back to this image, this picture of the salesperson. That that salesman, instead of having a product that is absolute garbage, she's given the chance to sell a product that in effect sells itself. It's so good that it doesn't need any slick pitch. It doesn't need any dodgy half-truths. It doesn't need to be made uh, spat on, to be shined up, to be um, lit up. Uh, doesn't need a jingle or anything like that. It really is just that good already that when people see it, they want it. That's what we're a part of when our lives become of first importance to honour 
to glorify, to lift up, to set apart the Father's name. I'd say that's a freedom from the constant slavish self-promotion, self-preservation that is living for ourselves. It's releasing us actually to live as we were created to be. Now, one of the things that I like to watch on TV is cop shows, dramas, comedies, movies, mysteries, whatever. Anything that has a, an agent with a badge and a gun, I'm usually there. And quite often in cop shows, one of the things, the tropes that they'll use to advance the story is to have undercover agents, people who have gone so deep inside, buried into criminal organisations, that they have to intentionally live a life of a lie. They're pretending their entire existence to be someone that they're not. Sometimes they don't want to, they don't know how to come out of that lie. And very often something drastic needs to happen for the switch to be flicked, for them to realise that they're not part of that lying world anymore, but part of the true world once again. Usually someone higher up needs to enter in and pull them out. And that's a bit like what it is that Jesus has done for us. If we go back to that passage in John where Jesus speaks about his death and resurrection, something that will achieve his own glorification and something that through which the Father will be honoured and glorified. I love the picture that he uses of this kernel, the seed, dying in the ground, but through dying being able to produce more seeds. Here's another truth that we need to know, that we need to recognise, that we can only wake up to this way of existing we can only be freed from that slavish sense of self-promotion through Jesus' power at work in us. Through Jesus' life and death, overcoming the power of sin that grips us, our rebellion, and helps us to live for something, someone other than ourselves. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. We can only be a part of that world, not through praying this prayer, but by being released into Jesus' kingdom through faith in him and his life and his death. Now here is one of the amazing things about praying this part of the Lord's Prayer. God's name is already holy. God's reputation, who he is, he is already set apart and exalted and lifted up beyond any other. It's also God's aim. It's also God's objective for his name, for himself even, for his essence to be high and lifted up around the entire world, in heaven and on earth. Those things are true and God is going to make it happen. The awesome thing about praying this part of the Lord's Prayer is that we get to be a part of something that truly is going to come about. When we align ourselves with the will of God in Christ, then we get, to, we get to enjoy the amen of it all coming true. So there you have it. The lie is that we are the most important things. That we are the best things since sliced bread. That nothing matters in this world more than you or I. The truth is that God's name is hallowed. 
that God's name is high and lifted up and above all others. Now, how do we do that? How do we enact that more than just praying for it? Well, the Bible actually gives us a couple of different places, a couple of different pictures and ideas, instances of how God's people are involved in that hallowing, in that revering. And it usually involves how we act, how we behave and how that is viewed and seen by others. Four specific examples in the Old Testament speak about God being honoured by others when his people obey him, when his people fear him. And by that fear, we mean valuing him, fear losing him, when his people trust his word. And then, yes, when they speak well of him. We get to be involved in God's hallowing, not just through prayer, but in how we respond and how we react to him. How we live our lives as if this is truly true. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you that you are high and lifted up. That when you call us in the name of Jesus, you do not call us to a lowly estate, but you call us to be part of a great and glorious family. When you invite us into your kingdom, it is not a kingdom of poverty, but it is a kingdom that is ruled and is reigned by the greatest thing in all the known and unknown universe. Lord God, we know that you are set apart. We know that you are holy. We know that you are worth more than anything else that we can set our desires on. Lord, help us to be a people who truly want you and your name to be lifted up. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his coming in, breaking into our lives of lies, our lives of, our lives of living for ourselves, that he does what is necessary to break the shackles of our selfishness and to set us free into living for you. We thank you for that, Lord, and I pray that our lives truly would be lives through which your name, dear God, is glorified. Your name is revered. Your name is honoured and set apart in the church, in the world, and even to the heights of heaven. Lord, our prayer is that you would be lifted up. Amen. hope that you found today's message useful and challenging and we want to take a moment to offer you some next steps that you can take right now. Why not get in touch with us via email at contact at amfordchurch.com if you have any follow-up questions or things that you'd like to discuss. If you want to know more about what's going on at Amford Church make sure to like us on Facebook and lastly check out our YouTube channel for video teaching in addition to our sermon podcasts. Thanks for listening.